This is episode 36 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing with Men's Roundup 2019, Kingdom and Community. This is session two, Saturday morning with Rick McKinley. Can we show some love for our worship team? That was beautifully done, and I don't know if you caught it, but, but we went through this, the whole story of the gospel just now, right? From longing to our own despair and brokenness to the coming of Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension and to our ascension with him that we longed for, right, when we were made like him. And then we worshiped him as he is, ascended and reigning in heaven and then come back to our own story and prayer requests. That's called liturgy, uh, even though we didn't have to think about it because it went right to our hearts. And so I appreciate our brothers who did that um, very much this morning. We got our worship on. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. You can try to uh, open your app. I bet it won't work. (laughs) This is when you realize the old Bible, it's still a thing. Last night, we we talked about what, what time is it, right? What time is it in our cultural moment where you and I have been called to be men who follow Jesus faithfully? Um, And and I used an illustration of an iceberg and talked about the three stories that we find ourselves in, individualism and the story of the state and the story of economy, and then this sort of postmodern reaction to those stories because of the holes of fallenness in them becomes this sense of nihilistic totalitarianism where everybody gets their identity group and they gang up on each other. And if you have Facebook, you know what I'm talking about, right? And the thing is, with the conversation in terms of the culture that we live in above the top of the iceberg, there is no dialogue. It's all monologue at each other. And we live in this polarized moment where we're trying to navigate what does it mean to be the people of God. And so some of us are looking at these different issues, political issues and social issues, and we're trying to figure out where does Jesus fit along these other alternative stories. And what we talked about last night was that Jesus wasn't trying to slap his bumper sticker on any of these stories, but that he traveled below, underneath what creates all that, where the true questions of human hearts lie. Why am I here? What is the point? What is the meaning of life? What was my heart made for? And more often than not, We, as followers of Jesus, can appear just as another little identity group rather than those who are walking in this very unfamiliar world, but also as peculiar people 
who are pledging allegiance to a different king and a different kingdom. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about today is how it is that we might navigate this world that we find ourselves. How will we understand ourselves and the moment that we're in? What changes might we need to make? What commitments might we need to make? And so Daniel 1 is a great place to start. As I was thinking about this, really over the last 10, 15 years that I've planted Imago Day, and you're sitting there going, I don't know what it looks like right now. I, I don't think Jesus fully endorses any of these stories. And yet, I want to reach the city and the community that I live in. And, and what, how do I live this faith out now? And then I did this incredible thing. I went and I looked at the Bible. And, and I found out that this is always how it's been for the people of God. Right? This is not a new moment. It's new for some of us, right? but it's not a new moment for the people of God. And so follow along with me as we look at Daniel chapter 1. It's a familiar passage for many of you, but I want you to listen along with me. We, we don't have a slide for it, so you'll have to bear with me and read on another brother's Bible. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And so what I, what I want you to pay attention to in those first few verses is this, that God is the one who was responsible for Judah going off into exile. And he had warned them over and over through the prophets that they need to repent and remember the covenant and remember the Torah. And when they didn't, he warned them that he would bring judgment upon them. And so this comes in the name of a leader by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. And Babylon is an amazing place at this time. It has economic power. It has military might. It has the wonders of the world within it. There is pleasure in every ideology you can think of. And they are carried off. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse 4, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylon. You know when people write emails and they put little verses at the bottom of them? I always put Daniel 1.4. Young man without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. <laughs> 
And Galatians 1.24, they praise God because of me. Right? All right, back to the Bible. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years after they were to enter the king's service. And among these that were chosen uh, from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he named him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king who has assigned your food and drink. And why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king had have my head. And so Daniel says to the guard, whom the chief official appointed over him, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with those of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this test, test them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and their wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found that there was none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all their magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. King Cyrus. Many different, like three kings go through. So let me paint a little backdrop. You have the people of God. What is it like in the Old Testament to worship and be faithful to Yahweh? Well, it means that you need a priesthood. You need a temple, a temple so that you can come and sacrifice and atone for your sins. Within the temple, you need priests who can go into the Holy of Holies for you. You understand your relationship with God that's very tied to the land that he promised you and to the king that he gave you. And you wake up one day and there is no king. There is no land, there is no temple, and you are in a fully new world. What does it mean to be the people of God now? You think about the things that we feel perhaps that we've lost as culture has shifted, but we are a far cry from the experience of Daniel and the exiles. And what they discovered in exile 
was how to be faithful to God. And it's important that we learn from them. Nebuchadnezzar's uh, exile is different than Pharaoh's. Pharaoh took the people of God and he threw them into slavery and he punished them and he persecuted and oppressed them. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't. Nebuchadnezzar's goal was assimilation. That when the people of Israel were carried off to Babylon, they were given a, a lower to middle class lifestyle. They had lots of freedoms. They were allowed to worship their God because he was just one of many. But his goal was that over time, the pleasure, the power, the economics, the wonder of Babylon would cause the people of God to just sell out, to intermarry, to do whatever, and eventually they just disappear. And by all accounts, Israel should have disappeared in, in exile, but they didn't. And why didn't they? You hear this talk today. Well, man, the church is going to disappear if it keeps going like this. If we don't lean more left, if we, if we keep leaning too right, we're going to disappear. But the truth is we are not going to disappear. We are not. And it's not because of us, either. <laughs> if it was up to us, we would have disappeared a long time ago. And so they find themselves in exile. And everything is changed. Ethics completely changed. You think about the Old Testament law with all of its moral kind of uh, commands, and then you go into Nebuchadnezzar, and it's anything goes in Babylon. The issues of authority have changed. Our God is the creator God. We are his people, and God just got carried off to Babylon. And so they needed to find a way in which they were going to worship God faithfully in this place of exile. And so I want to give you a definition for exile. Uh, we have a slide here with the definition. In almost all of the Old Testament and much of the New Testament, exile was a period when the promises of the past and the shape of the future had to be evaluated in terms of a new experience without the traditional self-validifying cultural and institutional structures like the monarchy and the temple. Uh, in other words, they realized that we are not at home here and everything has changed and we can't just look back to the good old days because those the temple's gone. The king's gone. We're not in the land anymore. And we can look back. Perhaps some of you look back to 40, 50 years ago and you go, what happened to prayer in the public schools? What happened to saying the Pledge of Allegiance? What happened to the morality that was basically accepted in our culture and it's completely disappeared? Well, I'm actually hopeful because 
when we understand exile as a metaphor and a reality for understanding our place in this culture, things start to make sense to us, right? Uh, Paul said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world, but in the world you're going to have trouble. Peter writes to the exiles scattered uh, abroad. Exile is who we are in this place. And that feels very weird because we're also citizens, right? And America's our home. And yet, Jesus says that your true home is not here. And your true faithful king who reigns in heaven is coming back to put the world to rights. But in the meantime, you will have to navigate what faithfulness looks like in a world that serves an alternative kingdom than the kingdom of God. And so Daniel is in a place just like that. The temple and the nation is gone. And for us, we would recognize that our culture no longer validates the church's beliefs and practices as it once did. And so we are, for some of us, the first time feeling like we are in a marginalized position in our culture. And I would say this, this is primarily for white Christians, right? Our African-American brothers and sisters have understood marginalization for a very long time, understood what exile feels like. Our Hispanic brothers are experiencing this right now in our culture, And so this is nothing new to many of our brothers and sisters, but for some of us as white followers of Jesus, it's a new experience to feel marginalized in our own country. The government no longer upholds and affirms biblical worldviews, and so what does it mean to be the people of God now? What do we do when these institutional structures have been taken away from us. Well, there's three things that you do. And so I want, the next slide, I want to explain some things. So this is uh, a triangle, as most of you can tell. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, who was a missiologist, and he grew up in the UK and went off to India for 30 years and then came back home. And he had realized that without thinking or knowing, the church in England had sort of just been absorbed by the culture around it. And it no longer understood the difference between the gospel and the church. And so he, he, he very much as a missiologist and a theologian, He helps us to see that the gospel comes without a culture. It doesn't have a culture, but it goes into every culture on earth. This is what missions and evangelism is about. And as it goes into that culture, it contextualizes to that culture, meaning in the language of the people, in a way that the people can understand. And as it, as it bears fruit, there are these new believers that are taking out of the culture into the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. But what's really important for the church to understand is that for us to be faithful 
in exile and faithful to Jesus's call on our life, we need to go back into the gospel for ourselves, right? It's not just that we have it and now let's go on to deeper things, but the gift that's been given to us is that you and I are invited to live into this gospel of Jesus through repentance and forgiveness and new life so that the gospel becomes bigger and bigger and larger to us. And so when Jesus on earth really is there, the gospel is this tightrope between church that goes too sectarian, more religious, and a culture that is very syncretized. So what do you do when you're in exile? Well, one thing you can do is that you can just baptize culture, right? Just baptize it. We get assimilated into the new culture, cultural ethics and values, and it's easy to do. Theologically, you get rid of the devil. You get rid of hell. Now we don't have any problem. Everybody gets to go to heaven because we got rid of sin, and we can endorse anything. We just baptize culture. Portland makes disciples, right? I mean, if 13,000 people are going to ride naked through the streets, somebody somewhere, like, that doesn't, you don't just do that, right? You get discipled into that. You're like, okay, well, we, we did the ride, now let's try it with our socks off, right? And eventually, you get there. <laughs> materialism disciples us and so we begin to go you know what when I'm trafficking above the line at the top of the glacier among these different ideas and values and people groups I'm just going to protect myself and tell people hey Jesus is cool with it because that's the loving thing to do and there are There's a movement now that evangelicals have moved to progressive evangelicalism, which is just mainline traditional liberalism, and they can sleep at night because they got rid of hell and the devil, and so now they have just a very polite self-help Bible. That's one thing you can do. You can get assimilated into the new new culture. And listen, that's not just on liberal political things. We can get assimilated into the culture when we quit reading what Jesus has to say about money. When, When we quit reading what the gospel has to say about loving the other. When we quit believing that Jesus was serious when he called us not away from sins of commission, like the bad things we did, but to look at our sins of omission when we don't do the things Jesus told us to do. That, too, is assimilation. So we can go off into the culture and we could just baptize it in exile. And, and, and honestly, when you talk to people who are in this movement, they believe that it's more loving 
And they don't want to be hated by their friends. They don't want to be weird in culture. And underneath it, there is just this sense of self-preservation, right? But the other way that you can respond in exile is that you can burn it, right? Burn it down. Let's take back our institutional power. Let's rebuild the temple in Babylon. Let's, let's take it back. And, and what's fascinating is to realize that there were prophets in Daniel's day, Jeremiah talks about this, that were prophesying false messages. And the false messages were these messages, right? We are going to raise up and go against Babylon and we're going to take it back. We're going to be back in the land soon. And Jeremiah writes, here's what God says. You should build some homes. You should buy some land. You should plant gardens. Meaning, you're not going back soon. <laughs> and seek the welfare of the city, because if it flourishes, you too will flourish. Right? That is what he calls us to do. And so we can, we can burn it down and fight it and take back our institutional power. But let me tell you that underneath that is still a motive of self-preservation. Right? We're preserving our world. Or we can do what Daniel does. We can bless it and resist it. So, so Daniel's there, he's taken off, him and his friends are taken off, and they're, they're forcefully being taught all of the language and the literature of the Babylonians, right? They're being indoctrinated into Babylon. And they don't have their temple, they don't have their calendar with their feast, they don't have the Torah, and they are like just being inundated with Babylon. And then when it comes time... To, to eat, they go, you know what, time out. I'm going to resist this food. It's funny when they came and said, hey, I'm going to give you the name of a pagan god now. They went, okay, that's cool. Call me Belteshazzar, meaning Bel is God or whatever. Um, but, but no meat. I mean, I would have been like, hey... My name's Rick. Right? It ain't Dionysus or whatever you're saying. And by the way, I would love to try the steak. (laughs) But he doesn't. And we really don't know why he doesn't. Um, Some commentators think it was maybe sacrificed to... to, uh, to demons or something like that. We don't know why, but what we do know is that that was a place where Daniel drew the line. He said, I will resist here. And you know what? Call me whatever you want. Call me whatever you want. And we see that throughout Daniel, that when they're in the lion's den, when they speak truth to the king when they refuse not to pray they found these places where they said we will push back 
and resist the idols of the culture, but we will also bless. Man, Daniel was a huge asset to Babylon. He served the kings. He had much wisdom. All of his friends served and worked for the flourishing of Babylon. And some of you are like, that's not right. But that's what scripture tells us he did. He blessed Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, I haven't found anyone equal. He serves through different kings. He's there till he's 80. He blesses, and and when he's blessing, he's being the faithful presence of Yahweh in Babylon. This is what Jesus does. He shows up on earth and he blesses this world that is not his home, but he is faithfully present in our pain, in our brokenness. And also he resists the idols, whether they be religious idols or they be cultural idols. He resists and he blesses. This is our option That's why Jeremiah tells them, you're not going home. You don't need to burn it, but also don't baptize it. Don't get assimilated. And American culture is an assimilating culture. Let's be honest about that. And it is here that you and I are put to be faithful to our king, meaning we should, the church should be a place, a body, a community that blesses the community you're in with the faithful presence of Jesus. But we should also be a community that's willing to not eat the meat. We're saying we're going to resist the idols of our culture with a prophetic witness and the faithful presence. We're not here to baptize it. And we're not here to burn it. We're here to bless it and resist it. Daniel and his friends serve the king faithfully. And and this is not disengaging. This is actually full engagement. This requires us to be more on mission and more dependent on Christ. We need to discern from the Holy Spirit, like, how will I know what I should do? How will I know whether I should eat the meat or I should, you know, not take the name? That's why discernment is such a massive, important skill set for us. When we think of money and sex and power based on self-security and how those three things have shaped our country and have shaped our as men, our understanding of what manhood is. And we're called to resist the moments of the day and don't worry about what names they call us. It is here where this skill of discernment, where we have to begin to ask questions, how will I know? Because in some contexts, you may say, this is what it means to bless. And in another context, it would look like, No, if you did that, that would not be a blessing here. We often get a lot of pushback at Amago 
for our views on biblical sexuality and marriage. And yet, we have built relationships with many uh, of the key LGBT community leaders. And it's always fascinating in those relationships as we discern what does blessing look like, knowing that they know full well what we're, what we're resisting and, and why. But we've had opportunity to... to um, come alongside them and to, to not sort of endorse their work, but to be a place that's there when they're in pain, when they're suffering, after the Orlando shooting, to show up and say, look, we, have, uh, we know you're being taxed and we have this thing called change for a dollar that's just a, a small benevolence thing. And, and we just want you to know that Jesus sees and he cares and, and we wanted to give you this gift. And, and they start bawling, right? And they're hugging me. And they're like, well, there is a sign up for all the affirming churches. I'm like, yeah, we're not affirming. But we do see your humanity. And we do believe Jesus loves you and that he died for you. And that you are fully, like the gospel is open to you. There is no one that is unclean that can't be invited to Jesus. Where some of you are looking at that and going, that, you didn't, yeah, you should not have done that. But I was the one in the midst of it. Our leadership team was in the midst of it. We were praying and discerning what does it look like to bless and resist, knowing that some people aren't going to understand this. And you will have situations as you live as exiles up above on the top of the iceberg where you have to ask, God, what does your word say? And what does your spirit say? And what does it mean for me to bless and to resist here and now? There's three questions that I would invite you to think about when you think about discernment. The first is, what does God's word say about that? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it clearly black and white? Or am I trusting and hoping in something other than God in this situation? Meaning the reason that I'm for it or against it, whatever it is, is because of something in me, not something in God. What would it mean to commit with all your heart and mind to hear and to obey the word? when it pushes you into uncomfortable spaces, because let's face it, exile is not comfortable, but it is the place that you and I are called to live out our faithfulness to Jesus. Am I being asked, another question for discernment, am I being asked to disobey God's word in order to participate in some kind of cultural worship in whatever shape it takes, greed-based consumerism, views on sex, looking at porn, not loving our enemies and our neighbors, trusting in the power and the institutions rather than Jesus? Is this the place that I, as a follower of Christ, or we, as the church of Christ, can bless, or is this a place where we can resist and can we find ways to creatively do both?
You know, one, one thing that was the reason that Israel didn't disappear is because they discerned, they thought through, how will we be faithful in this moment? And so what you see during this time of exile <clears throat> is this is when synagogues arose. They didn't have the temple, so they said, you know what, but we'll gather in smaller groups and we'll gather around the Torah. This is where the office of scribes showed up. Jesus is kind of harsh on them, but it started out as a good thing. And the scribes, they needed them because they no longer spoke Hebrew. And so they needed someone to translate and to teach the Bible. Ironically, Sabbath was a thing that they used to practice to say, we are not of Babylon. And they found ways to creatively be faithful and practice their faith so that they wouldn't be taken out. And I wonder what are those creative ways and practices that the church today is going to have to re-gear itself in order to be faithful in our Babylonian moment. I know as, as I talk about this, it feels, well, there's a whole variety of feelings. It can feel like loss. The good old days are behind us and we, maybe we can't burn it down and take it back. For some of it, it feels like personal fear and anxiety. I don't want to be in exile. I want to be like at home here. Think about that though. Do you really want to be at home here? Or do you want to be at the home of the Father, Son, and Spirit whom you've been bought through Christ by the Spirit and brought into the Father's love? For some of us, it, it feels like, how do we discern? And, and really, us pastors owe you an apology because we haven't taught you discernment. We've taught you behaviors. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Well, it's going to be a lot more gray in the new world. And it's not going to be as easy as like, just tell me the bad things and the good things. I'll be fine. No, you're going to have to open your Bible. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to listen to the Spirit. You're going to need to get together on stuff. And it, it may seem overwhelming to us, but the bottom line is this is something not only that we can do, but something that we must do. And we can be victorious and joyful exiles because Jesus himself was the first exile. The one who left the Father and the glory of heaven and was exiled to a broken humanity, corrupt kingdoms of our day. Jesus is the one that lived prophetically, speaking truth to power and also faithfully in blessing the world. He resisted the power structures of the day. He suffered in the world by bearing witness to the love of God for us. And he set the captives free. And then as he's risen and breaks through exile, 
And he carries us with him by his spirit to say, it's not yet. You aren't going to be, the fulfillment hasn't come, but you are going to live as exiles now, joyfully knowing by my spirit who cries, Abba, Father, that is in you, that you are pressing forward to the kingdom that is breaking in right now. You are at home in me. You see, we're simply following in his footsteps to be in the world but not of it. To be those who hope in a city whose foundations and builder is God. The hope of exile is that Jesus is at work everywhere behind the scenes. That Jesus, just like in Daniel, can sustain you through your resisting, can protect you through the persecution and he invites us just like Jesus himself to don't go to self-protection, but go to love which suffers for the sake of the other. Brothers, I believe that God is preparing his bride, refining his bride, purifying his bride but he will not be satisfied with baptize it or burn it he will only be satisfied when we bring our hearts to him so that he can change us into men who are willing to bless our communities and resist its idols because we worship the one true God who has by grace brought us into the one true story. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your word and how even in moments where the world seems like it's going crazy, your word speaks so clearly to the moment that we find ourselves in. And that God since from, from outside the garden on, your people have always been in exile, always been in the world, but not of the world. And so, Father, would you teach us to what it means to really repent of self-preservation and to follow Christ into blessing and resisting. May we humble ourselves and learn from our brothers of color who have been here and lived here and navigated faith here for a much longer time than we have. Father, will you give us clarity and perception on when to eat the meat and when to say, no, you can't call me that, or vice versa. We want, God, for you to, to look down upon your exiles and, and we want you to be able to say to us, well done, you have been faithful to me, you have suffered well for me, and you have told my story prophetically and faithfully in a world full of false narratives. God, embolden us, embolden us with courage to be like Daniel and beyond Daniel to be like you Jesus
We pray in your name, your glorified and resurrected name. Amen.